You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of the Dr. Tina Show, I bring you Dr. Nathan Goodyear. Dr. Goodyear is an integrative cancer doc. Cancer is a touchy subject and one I haven't been able to discuss yet as it's pretty triggering for me. I've watched too many people that I love die from it. The reality is that we are all very likely going to have to contend with it someday. But most don't realize that you can live and even thrive with cancer. You just have to know what your options are. The conventional model is to go to war with cancer and hopefully not kill the patient in the process. Dr. Goodyear brings a different perspective that is patient-centered, individualized, integrative cancer healing. Our best bet is to always become as resilient as possible. So God forbid, if it does show up, we're prepared and in good shape to handle it. Of course, metabolic health and strength training are at the cornerstone of this prep work, and we discussed that. It was a delight to connect with such a kind and caring doctor, and it reminded me of why I got into medicine in the first place. Interestingly, every time we started discussing COVID as an oncovirus, my camera would go out. It's like the universe didn't want that info out there, so I had to switch cameras midway through. I know you're going to love this heart-centered conversation. Let's jump in. Hey, functional and integrative healthcare practitioners, listen up. I've got something for you. Back in the day, I used to stock an entire wall's worth of lab kits for each specialty lab that I ran on patients. It took up so much room. Each kit had different instructions, and it was a very tiresome process. On top of that, I would spend forever having to chase down the lab results once they came in by logging into all the different portals and websites. It was honestly a total time suck, and time is money after all. But now there's a better way to order lab tests that I'm excited to share with you. Rupa Health is a tool that lets you order from over 30 specialty labs in a single portal. You can order all the tests that you normally do from companies such as Dutch, Vibrant, Diagnostic Solutions, and more. Rupa eliminates all the headaches by having all ordering, tracking, and results in a single place. And they also handle invoices, tracking shipments, automated follow-up, personalized instructions for completing the tests, and so much more. They can even facilitate convenient blood draws for your patients. The best part about Rupa is that it's free for practitioners. Signing up only took me a few minutes and the website is very user-friendly. Plus, all of your patients' labs can be found under one single platform. Go to rupahealth.com, that's R-U-P-A health.com to join a live demo or sign up and see how it works. And if you're simply a listener looking to order your own labs, I have a selection of tests at nearly wholesale prices that you can check out on my website at drtina.com forward slash labs. Dr. Nathan Goodyear, thank you so much for coming on the Dr. Tina show. You were... uh, mentioned to me by Dr. Carrie Jones, and she said we absolutely had to meet and have this conversation. So I'm so grateful that you made time to come on the show today. Well, it is truly my honor to be on your show. I love your website, by the way. So um, always excited to talk about wellness, natural holistic, integrative oncology. So it's my passion, and uh, I happen to have a big mouth. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. This will be great. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, you know, uh, Carrie mentioned you several times to me, and I finally looked up your website, and it's so colorful and beautiful, and your Instagram is so informative and colorful. And I just, uh, I'm actually, I'm grateful that you're talking about what you're talking about, because off the air, you had mentioned, you know, kind of that white coat, allopathic model being kind of dull and gray. And it's a heavy topic that we're going to discuss. And I I just think that bringing some light and some fun to it is 
I mean, as fun as we can, but it's, it's, it's part of our life. You know, I read a stat, you probably know better than I, but I mean, the latest stat is like one in two and or one in four folks are going to have to deal with cancer in their lifetime. So this is something we have to talk about. Yeah. And I think it's actually um, something that's, I don't want to paint things in a negative light. It's, it's the reality of the situation. What I always tell our patients when they come to us is um, there's, there's several principles that guide me. Hope, heal, teach, serve, and legacy. And it's, it's within that structure that drives me with our patients and drives the clinic at, at Brio. And so that teach aspect is why I embrace podcasts. That's why I embrace blog posts, because we must, we must teach patients to empower them. Because when you look at the data, what you're talking about is uh, one in one in two men and one in three women in their lifetime will be diagnosed with cancer. There was a study from 2019 called the Prospective Urban Rural Epidemiology Study. I talk about this a lot. It was published in the Lancet Journal, I mean, prestigious medical journal. And they looked at the mortality, causes of mortality in, in adults. And they basically looked at 20, uh, I think it was 21 countries or 22, I forget. And they categorized them into high-income, middle-income, and low-income. And what they found is that in the high-income countries, cancer was the number one cause of mortality over cardiovascular disease in adults. And here's the kicker. It was over a rate of two and a half to one. So it, it wasn't just inching by, it blew past it. Over cardiovascular disease. Absolutely. In high-income countries. In high-income countries now. So the point is, and then one of the lead authors there, uh, actually from Stanford, said, we are seeing an epidemiological transition from cardiovascular disease to cancer. And the way I see it, it's not a transition. We're de facto there. Wow. And so to put that in perspective for people, if the listeners don't realize, and I've mentioned this, I tried to really double down on this statistic during COVID, we were losing easily three, two to three times as many people to cardiovascular disease per year as to COVID. And now you're saying that cancer is two and a half times even that number. That's an astronomical number. I call it the next pandemic, but it's not the next, it, it, it is the current and yeah. I believe it was pre, I mean, that, that number, that, those data numbers, that's pre-COVID, okay? So that's not taking into any aspect what's happened over the last three or four years, none. Which I hope we can talk about because COVID is an oncovirus, right? Like it, it, mm-hmm. it, it is. And would you share with the audience what that means? Well, so... It's really interesting when you look at a lot of the research and the data out there, and I always lead with the research and data, Tina, because we as practitioners of natural, holistic, and integrative therapies, whatever it is in cancer, in autoimmune disease, we don't have to run from the science. We just simply need to follow it. It's there. We just need to read We need to have relationships, associations where we learn from each other. We have open debate, open discourse about ideas, but that's something that medicine has moved beyond, unfortunately. So when you look at the causation of cancer, okay, the the data says that upwards of 25% of all cancers are caused by infectious disease. Now, that's not associated with, but cause, meaning direct, you know, cause and effect. 
viruses, bacteria, parasites, fungus, all dive into that process. And so viruses are a big component of that. HIV, you know, human papillomavirus, hepatitis C, hepatitis B. It doesn't mean everybody that gets these viruses in turn will have cancer, but clearly they can cause it in the right situation. And so when you look at the conventional literature, I was born out of conventional medicine. I am a medical doctor. It is just by, you know, experience that I became a MD homeopath. And so I have that unique ability to, to recognize both sides of that, that fence. And so when you look at the conventional literature as to what is an oncovirus, if you look at it from a conventional uh, perspective, there are currently eight recognized oncoviruses. And they define very specifically what that is. And this virus, SARS-CoV-2, it checks every box. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not something that you have to extrapolate with, you know, stand on a on your left foot and just look at it just the right way. It checks every <laughs> box. It checks every box. But then and and we're kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent here and I'm fine with that because this needs to be talked about. Then when you look at patients that have cancer that either get an infection or get an injection and then the cancer goes absolutely sideways absolutely sideways, and it responds to absolutely nothing. Wow. Then you have to Then you have to stand back and just look at it and go, uh, I've never seen that before. I'm hearing this from a lot of my holistic oncology doctor friends that sense the rollout of this novel therapeutic that we're seeing. They're just seeing many. Well, first off, the, the first signal was they were seeing a lot of autoimmune disease that they had gotten into remission for the patient explode again, or new autoimmune diseases creeping up in patients who had, they had quietly or quieted down a prior autoimmune condition for them. And then these turbo cancers started happening. And it was just, I was hearing it kind of, so I'm no longer in clinical practice, but I still talk to my friends that are, you know, boots on the ground. And I started hearing it out of these different corners from really well-respected doctors. And I just like, this is undeniable at this point what's happening. So are you comfortable talking about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I spoke at it in at the uh, FLCCC conference in, I think that was March or April earlier oh, this nice. year. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, let's about, go. Let's talk know, about I, it. <laughs> I called it an oncovirus right there on stage, so I'm not afraid of it. Because, you know, I don't have to be afraid of it. That's just the data, okay? That's just what the data shows. And we have to be honest to help our patients. If we sit there and and, and lie to ourselves, we cannot help patients. We just cannot. I agree. So what are you seeing since the rollout of even the vaccine? Is that is that playing into this and is it concerning you? Yeah, so so what I talk about is I talk about the injection versus infection. And the reason why I do that is because my goal is to connect with people. We all mm-hmm. come to everything with bias, okay? And so if you use the word vaccination, which I used to right. use and I still do, people shut down or open up. And so I say, well, let's bypass that, talk about injection versus infection. So there we're specifically talking about the spike protein. I have seen mm-hmm. patients receive both infection and injection, remission, and then cancer now not only grows, but metastatic sites pop up too quick to have any other explanation. 
I mean, we're talking four weeks where a scan done just previous showed basically no evidence of disease. Now you have an infection, rip-roaring infection, and then you have evidence of disease not only in its recurrent site, but all over the place. And it's as if somebody goes and has surgery, like breast cancer, they develop a post-operative seroma, which is a collection of fluid that becomes infected, and you can see that infection cause cancer to just go crazy. And so this virus, I've seen it with injection and infection. So I don't think it has to be one or the other. I've seen it both. Clearly, the more injections people get, uh, the more crazy it gets. That makes sense. And so do you think it's specifically the spike protein? Do you think it's other aspects of the virus? I mean, since the correlation there between, like you said, infection or injection seems to be high, it it does seem to be that spike protein component from what people are, what the folks I'm talking to are guessing. But I just was reading the paper again. I revisited that paper by Dr. Stephanie Senoff and Dr. Greg Nye. And I mean, there's like (laughs) 18 different ways this could go sideways, you know? So... I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, when you when you look at the you know the spike protein is obviously the major culprit there, um, because that's what you get in the injection, and that's the obviously major the major connection point with the ACE receptor, etc. That's the way it binds and invades the cell. But there's actually a study, and I was actually trying to find it going through my lecture, um, where they actually showed that M protein, so the membrane protein, because this virus has four structural and then a bunch of non-structurals, and the M protein actually been shown to contribute to breast cancer spread and growth. So I think we have to look broader. Clearly, I think the spike protein is a major, major culprit here, but I think that it's beyond just the spike protein. Nucleocapsid, the membrane protein, I think also are being implicated here in this process. That's why it, beyond just the definition of an oncovirus, you know, the components of it are just only icing on the cake telling us that this truly is a virus or here with the injection that is going to contribute to the process of cancer. Yeah. And this takes me back to something I preach about all the time, which is resilience. My backstory for you and for the audience that hasn't heard it, I got cytomegalovirus when I was 19 and it took me out. Like I was out. I had to leave college. Uh, I was so, so sick. And at that time, this was the early 90s. And they thought I had HIV at first because they were like, nobody gets this sick from cytomegalovirus unless they are immunocompromised severely. And so therefore, and I mean, it made me crazy because that virus gets in your brain. It's an oncovirus, right? Like, doesn't it contribute to glial cancers? Absolutely. Yeah. So (laughs) good, good, good luck to me on this one. But anyway, uh, it hit me like a truck. And when I met my mentor, Dr. Rick Marinelli, the one I was telling you about, he passed away from cancer. He passed away from an oncovirus, HPV, positive cancer uh, in 2013. But when I met him, he really is the first person who introduced me, and this was way back in the early 90s, to this concept of you have to have a stronger terrain than the virus can obliterate. So we have to build you up and then you'll clear the virus. And nobody had ever mentioned that concept to me. And again, this is the early 90s. This is like, that. this kind of medicine wasn't super popular. This was like hippy-dippy stuff, you know? And the way I understand it, which I'd love to hear your thoughts, is it's synergy, right? We're not, curcumin isn't going to cure cancer. But curcumin, when we 
put it on top of hyperbaric oxygen and we put it on top of some of these different therapeutics and treatments, they synergize to help support this the individual. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, wow. I can, again, I got a big mouth. Um, I call it precision therapy stacking. And, you know, what what you do, Tina, what what we do in empowering in elevating the mind of patients, I think is as important, if not more important, than the actual science and the treatment. Because what we're doing here is we're talking about the breaking of a paradigm. Because what's happened in medicine is it has strayed from its focus. And, and you see this when a business loses its focus of who its customer is, it's, it, it wanders in the desert, right? And, and it can eventually die a slow and terrible and unnecessary death. And so for me, it's like, okay, medicine is wandering in the desert because our focus is the patient that's right behind us. But we're, we're focusing on everything else but the patient. And because of that, it's dying a slow death. Patients are turning away from conventional medicine. I read an article the other day, it was 2022, 75% of, there's a 75% reduction in the trust that patients have of doctors. It's like, yes. wow, it's not, not, not meaning only 25% trust them, it just means that there's a 75% reduction. Cancer doesn't occur because of one thing. It does not. It occurs because of a multitude of things. This goes back to Paul Urich back in the uh, you know, uh, late 19th century, looking at the magic bullet, using chemicals to treat neurosyphilis. Okay, that's, that's where that process came. Now, what's interesting about that is that chemical disease, that chemical process became the treatment of, of disease, but it, it was born through war. Because that chemical to treat of disease became chemicals for war, and now look at cancer. Go to war on cancer. Nixon declared war in 1971 on what? Cancer. So that concept permeates through history. But we have to recognize that cancer doesn't occur because of one thing, nor can it be treated or healed because of one thing. And so you must stack therapies together. So that's why I call it precision therapy stacking. And that's a concept because the precision, which ties into some of what you have on your website, which I love, by the way, it means conformity to truth. Ah. See, I, I, I love where words come from, okay? I love it. So precision therapy stacking. So conformity to truth, what does that have to do with treatment? Well, when we use natural therapies, we have the availability because of conventional testing and discovery and innovation to be able to test for circulating fragment DNA, circulating tumor DNA, circulating tumor cells, even do testing of tissue, of biopsies, of tumor resections. And we can go, oh, here's a mutation that the cancer has taken on, and we can target that. So if there is a nuclear factor kappa B upregulation, which we were talking about as it relates to spike protein, guess what inhibits that? Curcumin. Now, we've got to dose it, right? We've got to deliver it, right? So all of those pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic properties that gave us nightmares back in our medical school days, 
I, I actually talked about walking. It was like my last rites as I was walking down the dark hallway going because when we went down to the pharmacy department, they posted our test scores down there. And so we would walk down this long, dark hall. And it was <laughs> like, this is my last right. This is it. And then you go around the corner and there were your test scores right on the wall. You know, <laughs> it was like, but it was all about pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics. Why at that point, drugs, why they, what's the best way to deliver them, how they distribute, how they act, etc. But that applies to natural therapies. So we can say, oh, curcumin inhibits nuclear factor kappa B transcription, which is a major inflammatory transcription factor. But we've got to deliver it right. We've got to dose it right. We've got to follow it right. And so all of this applies. And the perfect example of that there is vitamin C. You know, doctors go, vitamin C doesn't work. It's like, well, have you read any research first? If you haven't read it, I don't want to hear that. Number <laughs> right. two, they say, well, it's an antioxidant. It's like, well, yeah, if you take it by mouth, it is. But if you give it high dose IV, it becomes pro-oxidative. And the beauty of it, Tina, is that, and this applies to all natural therapies, photodynamic, you know, photosensitizing therapy, hyperthermia. The beauty of natural holistic integrative therapies is that they really do target the abnormal cells. In cancer, they target those cancer cells, but they don't affect the healthy cells. I mean, it's like... It's like a eureka moment. We have therapies that can be standalone, but can be stacked based on that precision testing, what's called multiomics, genomics, epigenomics, exomics, transcriptomics, proteomics, metabolomics, immunomodulomics, I say whateveromics, microbiomics, hormonomics. But we have the ability to precision stack these therapies to go after what cancer's doing in a very aggressive way that targets the cancer, but it doesn't destroy the body, the immune system. I mean, that's, you look at full-dose chemo, it destroys the immune system. It does. Yeah. That's why given time, it's going to cause recurrence and metastasis. It's just going to do it. Would you quickly just explain for the audience how chemotherapy works and what the agenda is there? Because I don't think a lot of people understand that. Like the way I understood it was that you're trying to kill the cancer before you, you know, haphazardly kill the patient with it. Is that, am I way off there? Yeah. Is well, it, it's a war mentality. I mean, literally when you look at history, there was a, there was a book written on it. It's, it's a great book that war, you know, chemotherapy, as we know today, maximum to tolerated dose chemotherapy was literally born out of war. And, and so when you look at what war is, war is going to battle with the enemy, right? There is a battlefield. And the concept of cancer is that cancer is some kind of, I jokingly say, you know, a bad Sigourney Weaver movie where an alien's implanted in you. But I, I tell patients all the time, understand that what cancer is, it, it, it's you. It's a very abnormal form of you. And so if you're going to war on the cancer, de facto, your body becomes the battlefield. So full-dose chemotherapy, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's throwing a monkey wrench to, into the cell machinery in a variety of different ways, depending on the chemotherapeutic used, that destroys these rapidly growing cells. Well, guess what? We have healthy cells that do the same. You know, that's why they go, okay, that's a side effect of chemotherapy. It's like side effect. Side effect means it's unintended, right? It's a surprise. No, that's an intended effect. 
So you're just seeing the intended effect of chemotherapy killing rapidly dividing cells, and you see it in gastrointestinal side effects. You see it in hair loss. So you're, you're getting the effect you want, but the, the big issue with, with full-dose chemo is what it does to the immune system. And they've actually done studies looking at full-dose chemotherapy. It, it will basically hit a, a, a cancer cell. This is, of course, cell culture studies. And they showed that the cancer cells in about seven days started to recover and grow again and replicate. But the T cells, the immune cells, are defense 30 days plus until it's starting to recover. So basically, when you look at this dosing of full-dose chemo every two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, you just keep knocking the immune system down, knocking the immune system down, but the cancer recovers. But then what we're also doing is we're forcing the cancer to mutate. So you definitely do need to wipe it out. Now, full-dose chemo, let's be honest, it, you know, childhood leukemias, it's had some impact. But we have to move beyond where we are currently and what we've learned over the last hundred years because we're not winning this war, we're losing it. The concept of going to war on the body, that your pathway to healing is through destruction, is ridiculous. We need to learn from it and we need to pivot and move forward. And that's what, that's what wisdom is, again, from your website, right? Knowledge is data, it's facts. It's like, okay, what do we got with facts? Wisdom is saying, let's take those data and let's apply them experientially. Now, now we can move forward. And I think we're at, I think we're at a crossroads for medicine. People like you and others, I think me, are, are really trying to say, hey, we want to be a part of restoring medicine, re-innovating in medicine, and elevating medicine back to its purpose, and that's for people. Do you feel stuck in a rut? Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Is stress becoming overwhelming? Regardless of if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this zany world and is having a hard time navigating it all, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. That's why I'm excited to partner with BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard and time-consuming, especially if you're limited to the options in your local area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few quick questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with the therapist via the link in my show notes. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Dr. Tina. Listeners of the Dr. Tina show get 10% off the first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it works for you. And because finding a therapist is a little bit like dating, if you don't fit well with the first one, which is not unheard of, you can easily switch to a new one with no additional cost without stressing over insurance or who's in network, etc. I used to think therapy was only for people with big issues, but I've come to realize that we all could use a little help now and then. We are living in unprecedented times, and I found that having someone objective to talk to is hugely beneficial when it comes to managing my stress load. 
An outside perspective is often all it takes for me to process my emotions in a more healthy way, which ultimately leads to more success in all areas of my life, including my relationships with others. Click on the link in the show notes now to visit betterhelp.com forward slash Dr. Tina. That's betterhelp.com forward slash D-R-T-Y-N-A. I so am with you. I, I wanted to be a doctor since I was five years old and I became one and I was actually on the MD track and I was working at Oregon Health Sciences University, uh, the same university that just denied a woman her cancer treatment because she didn't, because she wrote a letter about uh, some trans flag something. And I posted, I posted on that um, a comment and because it's like, I was like, they, they were commenting about the hospital and I said, I, I, how can you even call that a hospital anymore? Because what a hospital is, it is a community for those in need. See, I love I love the root origin of words. A community, a place for community and commune for those in need. That place can no longer call itself a hospital. No, it was horrible. I was like, good old Portland. Here we go again. Uh, anyway, I was up there. I was 19 and I was working in the Alzheimer's and dementia clinic in the early 90s. And I met the head neurologist and he told me at that time, this is early 90s, that if he spent more than five minutes in a room or seven minutes, some very short amount of time with a patient, and this is the guy you went to when you were neurologically really messed up. And he said he was losing money because of the way HMOs were going. And so I remember I remember like having a panic attack because I'd wanted to be a doctor my entire life. And I melted down in my little cubby in my cubicle because we were doing data entry and research. And I quickly shifted gears and ended up working for a naturopathic physician. And I spent years following him around his clinic, watching him do miraculous things, really miraculous things. And so that's the direction I headed. And I'm also a chiropractor because I just firmly believe that the ability to impact the nervous system with your hands is pretty darn powerful. So that's the route I went. I became an ND and a DC and I... uh, I just have become horrified. I left practice. I mean, I didn't even have an insurance-based practice. I had a cash-based practice doing regenerative injection therapies, 100% musculoskeletal, doing a lot of BHRT to help folks heal. It wasn't, you know, vanity BHRT. It was like, let's get your joints back in gear. And uh, I left in 2018. I shut it down because I was just like, what is going on here? And then 2020 hit and it just, that was that was it for me. So, uh, I really do. I, I mourn the loss of of good medicine. And then today, you know, we just to add in another variable, a wrench in the system, or maybe a blessing. But I, I read this morning something, and maybe you saw this before I did, but something about <clears throat> AI being able to read mammograms with and detect cancer twenty percent more often than the human eye. So you know, bl- blending AI into this, which. In many ways, I mean, I'm all for everything we can use. Like, let's take everything we can use, but that requires conversations and that requires people putting their egos down and their turf wars away and and getting into it. Because like, if 2020 did do anything great, it was that a lot of healthcare practitioners that were on the side of truth came together and we all put away our credentials and we were like, hey, you're a health coach, you're a nurse practitioner, you're an MD, you're a DO, you're a chiropractor, let's, let's have a conversation So we're doing it, but I think the system at large is not. And you're spot on. People are fed up. The public, it really shed the light on the disaster that allopathic healthcare system has become. And a lot of people are like, 
I don't even want to go to the doctor anymore. Right. And, you know, it's really, well, I'm a doctor and I don't want to go to the doctor, you know. So, <laughs> I don't uh, I don't know. I don't know what that says. But, you know, <laughs> speaking of what, I think what people want, Tina, they, they want truth. They want honesty. And that's why I think what words mean is so important. So that's what uh, several years ago, I, I was like, well, what what is the word physician? What What is the word doctor? The word physician in Hebrew is a word rofe. It literally means healer. And so when I speak at conferences, I love to, you know, a lot of people will speak at conferences and they look over the the, the audience. They don't engage with their eye contact and body. I, I love to engage in people's, you know, with their eyes as I'm speaking because I want to see if I'm connecting with them or not. And then if I do, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to a point there. But I, the first thing I typically always do is I get up there and I said, okay, how many healers do we have in the audience? And it, what I love about that is people's body reactions. I mean, so many conventional docs, of which I'm one, they'll go. I know, I'm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, they're like, they're, they're get, they get very uncomfortable and closed offish. But that's what it means. We're healers. And then the word doctor in Latin is dossier. It literally means teacher. Yeah, I have it tattooed yeah, on my that's wrist. That's awesome. So we are teachers that heal. That's what we are. That's what we are. And, you know, Hippocrates said, physician, heal thyself. No, no. That needs to be updated and upgraded. Physician, teach patients how to heal thyself. That's, we, our job is to empower people, patients. It's not to empower industry. It's not to empower hospitals. It's not to empower a group practice. If we take care of people, guess what? We will be able to pay our bills. As a physician, as a doctor, we are the ultimate example of what it means to be a servant. At least we're supposed to be. We are a service industry. We serve people. And that's what we need. We need to restore to that purpose. It's really interesting, that word integrative, it comes from a Latin word, integrationum, that can be translated to mean to make whole to make whole, not to cut out, not to destroy, not prescriber of drugs, but to make whole. And, and so for me, yeah, it's, it's kind of a spiritual thing. And it, it is for me. I, I think this is my calling. It is to say, is anybody going to stand up and speak truth and speak about what medicine is and what it's supposed to be? And it took me a while. But it's like, you know what? I'm going to do that. But not to just call people names, but to actually just say, here's, here's what the evidence shows. Let's talk about it. We can have difference of opinions on whether this study was designed right. We can have different opinions whether the power was correct of the study. But we have to look at this research and go, wow, here's an article from 2022 the SARS-CoV-2 M protein facilitates malignant transformation of breast cancer cells. Uh, what do we make of that? Okay, may not like it, of course, but we have to be honest and truthful in our discussion and be open and innovative because that's what patients want. And that's why patients no longer are trusting conventional medicine. It's so true. And to touch on something you just said, I watch... Oh, it makes me crazy. I watch 
Okay, I'll give an example. <laughs> I I opened up Medscape last week and there was an article about how it was basically somebody taking the literature around exercise helping cognition and just disseminating it. They just broke it apart. They said, let's look at all these studies around how exercise is good for the brain. And in the end, basically, they were just splitting hairs. Their their goal wasn't to prove or disprove that. Their goal was to just take the studies apart and oh, this wasn't powered right. This one, this one had these flaws. This one had, you know, these limitations. And I'm like, oh my God, you guys, no wonder people are confused. Exer- clearly exercise helps cognition. This is not even, like, why are we even spending dollars to study this is really my question. Like, what do we really need more proof on that? But to sit there and split hairs and it's, it's crazy making. It's, it's crazy making to sit in it. And sometimes I just want to throw my hands up and be like, I want no part of the system. But then I talk to great docs like you and it reminds me why I wanted to become a physician in the first place. But it's insane to me and it's no wonder that doctor, or the public is distrusting, is confused, doesn't know which way to turn. They, you know, they're just being led around by, again, in my opinion, a bunch of egos that are just sitting there having arguments for the sake of it. And it's just like, yes, exercise is good for your brain and everything else in between, right? <laughs> Why are we trying to destroy the studies that say that? That's just nuts to me. Yeah, all you got to do is exercise and your brain just goes crazy. I mean, the ideas and just, you know, it's like, oh, so you're telling me exercise doesn't help my brain, but wow, that's just what I experienced. I think the perfect example is, and this is not anything new, is, you know, the 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 advertisements you see on TV for some of these drugs. You know, immunotherapy, okay? This is a concept that I think a lot of people with cancer know about. And I was actually reading an article the other day uh, talking about, and they said immunotherapy is a drug. I was like, uh, isn't immunotherapy anything that works to boost, to suppress, or to balance the immune system? Anything that works within the immune system is immunotherapy. Sleep, immunotherapy. Diet immunotherapy. But they were saying, no, it's a drug. And so when you watch some of these advertisements, you know, like with football season upcoming, you know, you'll have people running on the beach, you know, just, you know, just running on the beach with nets, catching butterflies, the beautiful sun, you know, the waves crashing. And they said, oh, this is great. This drug will do this and do this and do this, but your left arm's going to fall off. Your head will fall off. Your, <laughs> your, your heart will explode. And so you're watching this beautiful experience, this beautiful marketing. But then you're hearing this, and it and it makes you almost burst out laughing. It does me because it's it's such a contrast. They're hoping you don't hear that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, and they say it super fast too, so that's you right. can't hear it. So, but you know, here's another thing I was reading the other day, and it really startled me because we're not. You look at the you know look at the injection, the vaccination. So your your line's probably about to go out. Um, <laughs> So, um, was this well thought out? Was it planned? Was a long, double-blinded, randomized, placebo-controlled trial study done to look at the impacts? I I was reading an article, and it it was just a Passover phrase, but it, it, it hit me to my heart, to my soul. They said the word fetal reprogramming. They were talking about mothers that were stressed, and how that stress during pregnancy reprogrammed their baby epigenetically. So at that point, though that 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 forming child and growing child 
it's open to alteration from what the mother experiences at that point. But they just glossed over it. Fetal reprogramming. And I thought, oh my goodness gracious, what happened during the pandemic? Pregnant mothers. And it just, it was like, uh, reprogramming. Do they know what they just said? Do they know what they just wrote? Did they let the cat out of the bag? Because there actually is a phrase called epigenetic, uh, epigenetic transgenerational inheritance of pathology. There were a couple of studies I talk about a lot because I think it really shows the impact of our lack of foresight and what it's doing. You know, everybody wants to focus on longevity today. But nobody wants to focus on legacy because legacy is what gives us the high quality of longevity. And we think of longevity in terms of our life. But what if our seeking out of longevity for our life damages that of our offspring, our grandchildren? So there was a study where they did one dose of chemotherapy, one dose, doxorubicin, in a mouse model. And they followed them in successive generations out to six generations. And they found that the dysfunction and the disease from that one dose of chemotherapy peaked at the fourth to sixth generation, okay? So it's not just what they call F1, which is the next generation. The fifth generation is where it peaked. Now, who's to say they didn't fall it out to 25 generations that though that may, link, that they, that may dwindle, it was still present. But that's just one. What if they got, you know, three more chemos on top of that? Then they're doing that every week. Then they get radiation. Then they're dealing with all the stressors of life, the bad diet. All of these things are changing genetic expression, epigenetics. And that is what we now know is inheritable. It's transmitted to our offspring. It's transmitted to ourselves. It's transmitted to our children, our grandchildren. For me, I, yeah, I, I want to live a long life, a healthy life. I love my wife. I love my kids. But I want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a legacy for myself that transmits to my children, my grandchildren. It's a legacy of healing. It's a legacy of wellness. That's where we need to be focused. And where we're focused right now is no foresight. And we're leaving a legacy of destruction. That's what we're leaving. Oh my goodness. I did not know that stat about chemo. I do remember a stat that I learned in school and I cannot find the paper on it, but the it was during Grand Rounds and the presenter showed that, because my whole thing is metabolic health and what we're doing, like we're all swimming in insulin and what that's doing to us as a species, you know? And then when I start doing the research on that and what it's doing in mothers and what it's even doing in breast milk and just, you know, it gets really depressing really fast. But this presenter said that if the mother had metabolic dysfunction, that her offspring were up to four times higher risk of developing cancer in their lifetime. And it just, I mean, that's huge. And when you think about the mass, I mean, 90, a 2018 study, or it was a 2021 study, but from 2018 data showed that 96% of somewhere 94 to 96% of US adults are metabolically busted. So, I mean, all these women with poor metabolic health having babies that are potentially more prone to cancer, I mean, that's a really sobering thought too. Do you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, it's reprogramming, right? It, it falls right into that uh, fetal reprogram. It ties back into that prospective urban rural epidemiology study, that pure study, which, you know, if you look in the Western world, I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about high-income countries because they even saw that trend in the high aspect of the middle-income countries, okay? I would say 100% of, you know, the United States is metabolically deranged. I mean, everybody has some degree of significant metabolic dysfunction. You see this in the guts. I mean, that simply can begin with C-section versus vaginal delivery. We know that the gut microbiome of these children is different from how they're born. There was actually a study done down in Brazil where they were actually connecting that to obesity. And I can remember when I was in my, my residency going, oh, you know, and so we were debating about it. And at that point, I was a little bit brainwashed. And it was like, oh, no, this study is bad designed. It's, you know, they're speculative. And, and now it's like, oh, yeah, that's definitely true. It's definitely true. So I would say that 100%, if not, you know, very close to that, of adults, of children in Western worlds, let's take the U.S., for example, have major metabolic dysfunction. Why? Because our parents had it. Why? Because their parents had it. And we're passing on that dysfunction, let alone what we add to that in our lifetime, let alone what the recommendations are to add to that when the child, the mother is pregnant. We are setting up a perpetual platform for customers that have name your disease. If you looked at it from a business perspective, and we're getting way off the reservation here, but if you wanted to say, well, let me create the perfect platform for a business where I have customers that requ are required to come to me by law, but they have to because they need me because of what I provide for them. It's like, wow, from cradle to grave, it's, it's, it's constant. And it's, that's, but that's not what it means to be a physician. That's not what it means to be a doctor. It's just no. not. It's metabolic, busted metabolic health leading to prediabetes, you know, for a good decade plus for the person, leading straight into type two, leading into all of the other. I mean, it's no wonder that there's a dialysis clinic popping up on every mini mall street corner in certain parts that I see in Oregon, you know, in the suburbs of Portland. I'm, there's Everyone's like, oh, why is there a dialysis clinic there and there and there and there? It's like, I know exactly why that is. And it's very lucrative for the system oh, yeah. to oh, yeah. to keep folks in that loop. And and I, I'm not opposed, again, I'm, I'm really not opposed to allopathic medicine. Like I've recently been studying the semaglutide, the GLP-1 agonist, and just mm -hmm. kind of seeing, you know, it, very interesting. Because in my opinion, and it, I, I don't think it's getting too off the reservation because it, it does tie back into cancer quite a bit. I think that adipocytes and that you know when they secrete adipokines in a pathologic way, I mean that to me is like ground zero of a lot of problems. And so I get accused of being fatophobic a lot, and I'm like, no man, fat cells are bad news. <laughs> in my opinion, fat cells, particularly the ones in the visceral fat, are oh, wow. bad 
bad news, long, I mean, whole host yeah. of issues. And when you look at some of the data on Ozempic and the improvements in breast cancer, I was researching that last night, um, improvements in cardiovascular disease, just because they're getting the fat off of their body, it's really, and, I, and who knows, I mean, maybe there's a direct mechanism with the GLP-1 agonist. You probably know better, but anyway, just, you know, I, side you know note really, it really interesting. I actually wrote uh, some answers to some questions. I forget. It, I could have been with Fox News. I forget. But it causes muscle loss. Mm-hmm. So, again, you look at cancer, okay? All right, we're going to destroy cancer. We are going to destroy that tumor. We're going to zap it with radiation. We're going to zap it with full-dose chemo. Now you can no longer see it, right? Well, they've done research there that shows, yes, you can shrink that primary tumor. But what happens is you can actually set the stage by which it spreads. Now, our understanding of the process of how metastasis occurs is different. Part of that is clearly the immune system. But probably whenever cancer starts to invade and grow, when it becomes present, it immediately is uh, sending out satellite cells for metastatic purposes. But there's actually studies that suggest that a dominant primary tumor can actually secrete uh, hormones substances that communicate to keep those distant sites suppressed so they're there. It's the only way to explain how you can then surgically cut it out, a big tumor, and within four or six weeks, there's massive metastasis everywhere. Surgery suppresses the immune system for, for about 30, 37 days and, and depends on what you do with opiates and that can extend that. But that can't explain how that process can occur. But look at a Zimpec. Okay, does it shrink fat? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But what happens when you lose muscle? Oh, yeah, you're toast. Same process. You've gotten a short-term victory, short-term gain, but long-term, smack right in the face. What happens to women when they go through menopause? They lose muscle. Uh, some other things, hormones, you know, everybody talks about, you know, well, yes, women are hormonal. It's like, excuse me, I know more hormonal men than women, okay? <laughs> they just manifest it differently. They buy yes. a little red car, okay? So they just manifest it differently. So the biggest aspect for women going through menopause and men going through that same transition is muscle. They must focus on maintaining and building muscle. Research in cancer supports that. So if we work to provide a short-term gain, Yes, we must couple that with the understanding of the impact it is long-term. Again, you look at the leaders in, in countries across the world, incredibly short-sighted, incredibly short-sighted. The same problem we're having in medicine, the same problem we're having, fix that. We'll deal with the aftermath later. Well, the aftermath may be, may be a bigger problem than the initial so it doesn't mean that it can't help in the short term. We just need to recognize its impact and say, we need to do something else about this. And so that applies to cancer. It applies here to the Azimpec. But you know what I would say about cancer is that when you're talking about the metabolic dysfunction, you're absolutely correct. Metabolomics, I think, is a huge area of research that's finding its way into the application. But cancer is now one-to-one, -one, Okay. You cannot look at the prospective urban and rural epidemiology study. Look at the health decline of the um, high-income countries, the Western world, the metabolic dysfunction. Cancer is one-to-one. -one. I mean, it, it, it is. In our lifetime, 
we will be diagnosed with cancer. We will. Doesn't matter, uh, male, female, we will. It will happen. Yeah, it's it's undeniable and it's it's almost unavoidable. We've exported our poor metabolic health worldwide. And I mean, that takes it back to COVID. What countries did the worst? The countries <laughs> with all the metabolic disease, you know, it's not, none of this is rocket science. And I, I'd love your opinion. I get so much pushback from, so I'm big on muscle. Like I've been lecturing mm-hmm. at medical conferences for years about how important muscle is. And I, I hey, I uh, PR'd my deadlift yesterday. So I'm very proud of myself. All right, all right. <laughs> it was a big moment. Uh, after a long back injury recovery, I got it back. So I'm, I'm there. But muscle is non-negotiable to me. Like it's just not, I was on a panel with Dr. Paul Anderson and, we were talking about this topic and I'm sitting there with a bunch of naturopathic doctors and they just really were not keen. I don't know how they're doing now, but they were not keen on this whole muscle as medicine thing. Like they just weren't hearing it from me. They didn't want to hear it. And I, I think it's because they don't, they don't lift. If you don't lift, you don't know. If you don't have muscle, if you don't understand what the superpower that strength gives you and that physical physicality gives you, you, it's hard to really appreciate it. So I'm trying to sit there and defend myself on this panel. And finally, Paul raises his hand and he takes the mic and he's like, Tina is right. Everything she said, every single thing she said is right. If you have muscle, your chances of surviving cancer go way up. If you have muscle, your chances of getting cancer go way down. So listen to her, you know, and I started, I barely knew him then. I started laughing. I was like, thanks, Paul. I appreciate that. But it really is this sort of like suit of armor in so many ways, more than just, you know, beef on your, it's, it's more than just a slab of meat on your body. It's, it's got endocrine properties and immune properties, and it's such a valuable tool. And I just think going into any kind of acute or chronic condition, your chances of coming out the other side less beat up are going to be higher the more muscle mass that you can, healthy muscle, functional muscle. Yeah, there's there's another Paul that I love, Paul Anderson. So, um, you know, I I wrote another art, I I like to write, it's just, you know, people go, well, what do you do on the weekends for fun? I write. Uh, So that's just, uh, sorry, I'm a nerd like that. But um, (laughs) so I wrote some, um, an article talking about exercise and it was, it was in relationship to uh, a recent study looking at really short bursts of exercise for people upwards of 4.5 minutes a day. And they were using very low dose, very low intermittent physical activity, okay? And so they found that this provided a massive, massive, significantly, a significant reduction in cancer simply by doing low intensity, vigorous exercising, such as walking, whoa, whoa, you know, Walking upstairs, wow. Now, that right there associated with, you know, we're talking 44% reduction in cancer risk. What? Say so, that again. Say this yeah, again. Uh, 44%, and I don't have the study handy, but let me see. Let me pull that up. Hold on, let me find that information. 17 to 32% cancer reduction, okay? And it was really interesting because the person that wanted me to write this article, they said, is this considered meaningful? Now, again, we're not talking about 
training a mar- training for a marathon. We're not talking about high intensity interval training. We're talking about just simply, you know, 4.5 minutes a day. Wow. And so what that shows you is the power of exercise. But if we hone that exercise to build that metabolic machine, because I mean, that's what that's the muscle is our metabolic machine. And if we invest in that, then that's where we see the power of metabolic healing, cancer healing, because research shows that guess what? What's the most important form of exercise in cancer treatment? Resistance, build muscle, maintain muscle. Again, doesn't mean you have to go out there, which is what this article was kind of highlighting that I thought was important. You don't have to go out there if you've just been diagnosed with cancer and said, I'm going to start training for an Ironman. No, just get yourself moving and do so in a way that builds muscle. Amen. I I think it's simple. I think sometimes we overcomplicate this, but it's, it's that simple. Lifestyle changes, I think, can be bigger where we need to be in cancer now that it's one-to-one, we need to be preventative. I take care of plenty of patients with cancer, but if I can help more doctors, you know, through a natural holistic integrative perspective, help heal patients with cancer, that's how I become exponential as a doctor. But how I come become exponential with, with cancer and patients is help them to never get it. Pure prevention. That's that's where we need to have a focus, a pivot, and the only way to do that is wellness. That's 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 it. It and it does not need to be complicated. That's the beauty of it. It's it's it, and it's it's your stacking. This goes back to your stacking again, right? It's just these small incremental decisions that we make every single day. Am I going to go to bed on time? Am I going to set my circadian rhythm in the morning? Am I going to go for a walk after a meal? Am I going to do my strength training? Am I going to end my showers with cold? It's it's little things, but they add up and they stack. And it it's, it's so interesting to watch the online community because everybody gets so hardcore, you know, like ice plunges and you know, excessive heats in the sauna. And I'm over here being such a hippie naturopath. And I'm like, you guys, these are tools from the universe and nature and God to tonify our vitality. <laughs> it's just yeah, a they're different. Not, <laughs> and they're not new. No, I mean, they're not the, new. The, and, and the they Asian don't need to cultures, like... the Asian cultures did that for a long time. And we don't have to shock our nervous system every time we go to do something. And so I, folks that are kind of waking up to what's going on can, you know, if it comes to their nutrition, we call it orthorexia. I don't know what the term is for it in just general uh, mentality, but they kind of freak out and they become purists and they're like, oh my gosh, you're, you're Bluetooth headphones. I can't believe you're wearing Bluetooth headphones. And it's this pure, it's crazy with having a big audience on Instagram because people get crazy, but to me, I'm like, yo, I'm just going for a walk after a carbohydrate meal and I'm setting the sauna for the time and temperature that I can tolerate that day. And I'm doing a cool shower for a few minutes, you know, at the end of the day, dancing to a song. Like I'm not ice plunging. I mean, maybe, maybe it depends on the day, but really it's just these small incremental things that we can do to tonify ourselves. I'm just honestly looking to be happy, have a good figure, have good relationships, have a good functioning brain. Cognition is really important to me as I age. And I've that's I've noticed that um, it's it's been challenged with this perimenopause that I'm almost 50. And so like I'm starting to feel it. And 
I don't think if you're high functioning cognitively that you notice it. So I think a lot of people have decline in their brain function without even realizing oh, yeah. it. And that, that's yeah. kind of like the beginning of it for me. And it worsens, of course, with poor metabolic health. So I'm just trying to offset all of these things so that when cancer comes, because I don't doubt that it will show, I mean, I've already had skin cancer, but when it comes, I I want to be prepared. I just want to... It's like when COVID came, I was like, all right, I got this. I've been training for this, literally, (laughs) like literally training for this day. So that's how I live my life. And that's how I try to keep it simple. It's, it's doesn't, nothing needs to be in these excesses. And these are baby steps. We just have to start somewhere. And, and, you know, I I love that. I love that concept of excess because that's what we try to do. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, trans fats. It's like, well, yeah, that research wasn't exactly right. And look what that's done, that whole 80s and 90s. And Ooh. and so then, you know, and one of the things, one of the questions I get a lot, Tina, is, well, can I still have a glass of wine? You know, I, I'm going through cancer treatment. I recognize, I hear, I hear all these bad things, you know. And uh, so I started doing a little bit of dive on that. You know, people like you and me, we, we, we go down these rabbit holes. And sometimes we don't come out. But it was interesting that I was looking through all these studies on alcohol and where they were actually using them in animal models, where they were using them in cell cultures. They were using diluted ethanol. And I was like, well, I don't know really too many people that are drinking diluted ethanol um, with their dinner. So I came across this 2019 study where the authors were actually saying just that. Uh, Don't know anybody drinking diluted ethanol. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some red wine and we're going to drop it in these cell culture studies uh, with cancer and see what happens. And lo and behold, okay, the one year and three year red wine, it killed cancer cells. Now, it was the constituents, they were speculating that it was the constituents, but it was not just that they saw the cancer cells die. It was, they were describing the mechanisms, the cellular signaling structure of what happened. So it, it's kind of like that, you know, the uh, French paradox, right? Oh, they, they, they eat carbs, they walk everywhere, they drink wine, and they, they smoke, and hmm. That sounds great. <laughs> they, they, are, they, 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 they are a little bit healthier than us Americans, and we're so extremists in what we're approaching with our nutritional strategies. And it's like, well, maybe if we have a glass of red wine, that, of course, doesn't have all the pollutants and additives to it. That's a completely different article, right? Organic, biodynamic, uh, you know, very important. But, yes, if you drink a whole bottle of wine, yeah, that's a problem. You can have that same – you can drink too much water. I mean, you could kill yourself by drinking too much water. So it's about, I think, understanding what is the best fit with the individual, what's the best lifestyle, and stacking those things together. If you're, if you're exercising, if you're eating good nutrition, if you're balancing your stress, if you're doing all those things, great relationships, I think that's very important, and you have a glass of red wine maybe two, three times a week, uh, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Your greatest risk is probably getting in your car and driving down the 101 here in Phoenix. So <laughs> right? it, it's right. not that it's not that glass of red wine. So it, it's all about perspective. But you were kind of touching on this earlier, Tina, about you know this research. It gets caught in these rabbit holes, and and it and it doesn't have relevance and application. So it's a focus on the data, the facts, important, 
but those have to be applied. And if we have a bunch of facts and they're not applicable to lives, then how relevant is that? It must be applicable. And, and, and so that's, so I, I just find that really interesting because you were triggering my brain as we were talking about that. I was like, oh yeah, red wine. Yeah, there you go. Well, and that takes me to this thought of accumulation too. So, you know, it's like, what have, what was your epigenetic uh, hand of cards? What was your genetic hand of cards? What was your life like? You know, I was sprayed with malathion when I was a kid in living, growing up in uh, San Jose in Northern California when they were spraying the fruit flies. And now we're seeing this huge uptick in thyroid cancers from that group of kids. It's like, okay, awesome. <clears throat> so it's like, what's your accumulation? And then, and I bring this back to metabolic health because People always want this black or white answer on social media or on these podcasts. It's like, well, you just said you can have a couple glasses. And, you know, I actually personally quit drinking for a year because I was drinking too much. I live in wine country. I was drinking too much wine. It was becoming an issue. I was gaining weight. I was having bad perimenopause symptoms. So I gave it up. And now I have a glass of wine once in a while and it's not a big deal. But I look at my whole accumulation through my life and I judge what I do based on that. So for me, a couple glasses a night make me feel horrible, you know, and it's not my thing. And I, all of these things lead to how we are going, how our physiology is going to behave as we get older. And so some folks are going to have, like some people can't even look at a prune or lick a prune without having a severe insulin response. And other people can eat bowls of pasta and be fine. It's the history of your body. It's the history of your cells. It's the history of how you've lived. And no, we couldn't control all those variables and there's no reason to try to, but we're all different and we have to figure, there's no black or white answer is my point. We have we can't follow the rules that some influencer sets out in their book and online. And oh, it's yeah. like, we're all, <laughs> yeah. you know, whoever the big guy is at the time your, or woman. Your 10 steps to healthy living. Right? Oh, it's like we, okay. we we just have to hit the basics consistently because my goal is when the big shit comes down, when I am older, I don't want to have to take too many steps to get to wellness, meaning when I've I've been with patients who so have- So you have recently, constipation? You have constipation, do you? Do I? Yeah, you said no. when the big shit hit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> little integrative health humor. Um no, it's like when somebody gets diagnosed with something like, say, God forbid, cancer, if they're living a really unhealthy lifestyle, it's a huge haul to get to wellness. Whereas if you're already living a, a lifestyle of wellness, you just have to tweak a few things, right? Like I already have the habits in place. I already have the discipline to have the habits in place for most things. And I'm not perfect by any means, but I made it so that I, when it, when or if something, I mean, God forbid, happens, I can simply be like, oh, I just need to tweak this now instead of completely overhauling my life. And do you run into that a lot with patients where they come to you and they just are starting from zero or are most folks kind of on the tip and you just got to nudge them a little? You know, it's most of the patients that come to us, we're, of course, we're a natural, holistic and integrative, I'd say we're a natural, holistic and integrative cancer healing center. So, most of the people that come to us with cancer are seeking us out. Okay. They don't, they don't come in going, oh, I had no idea. I thought I was coming here to get surgery, full dose chemo and radiation. Um, so most of the patients that come into us are coming with that, that framework. Now they, you know, we may open up their mind a lot more. So they're already integrating a lot of that. 
it's rare that we see somebody that comes in and they're like, oh, yeah, I had four Twinkies yesterday, uh, you know, uh, six-pack of beer about three times a day. You know, rarely do we see that, okay? We do see it from time to time, and they recognize the, the, the impact on their body. But most of our patients already recognize how they can be the best steerer of their health and do so through a lifestyle of wellness. But what happens is it's just their, their, their metabolic dysfunction, their immune system, et cetera. It has left the train track. And, and so they're doing things that can be very helpful, but the train tracks broke. And so we have to come in and help to heal and repair that process. So yeah, we, we see both, but most of the cases we see people that are very much in tune with that. I mean, we even see some patients sometimes, Tina, they come in and their nutrition's better than mine. It's like, wow, that's incredible. And you know what? It's probably too tight and we probably need to open it up a little bit. Um, let's, let's live a little bit. Let's enjoy life. Not let what you're trying to do basically, you know, just put chains on you. Live. Yes. Live. And and that's the whole idea behind what? Trying to heal from cancer, right? And trying to heal from obesity, trying to heal from diabetes. It's to be able to live with high quality. That That's what it's about. And uh, so they recognize that. But in that again, in that situation, they need a lot more help. And so um, we're, we're happy to help them there. That's awesome. That's good to hear that they're generally kind of on the path. And I could imagine that would be quite overwhelming if you were just totally off the rails. But I suppose people that are completely off the rails wouldn't necessarily seek out an integrative holistic healing experience as often as somebody who maybe was already on that path. Yeah, they don't. And it's really interesting. I always, uh, I, I jokingly say this because I actually had a patient tell me this, is a patient said, well, does my diet have any impact on my cancer? The oncologist, this particular patient, said, no, has no impact. That's a myth. And the doctor was writing some, and the patient said, well, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm writing you an order for a PET CT scan. And, and the patient recognized and said, Dr. Goodyear, doesn't that, don't they use sugar for that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They give a radioisotope tag sugar, and they infuse that because they know metabolically the cancer takes that up faster than the healthy cells. So does diet have an impact on cancer? Well, diet can give you sugar, right? Oh, yeah. Sure it can. Yeah. Sure it can. Sure it can. Now, it's a lot more complex than that. But the point there is it's, it's this kind of medicine today has a lack of curiosity, what we need more in medicine is a, 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 a process of curiosity. We need more docs that are curious because that's going to be what helps us to innovate. And, and, and we really need that today more than ever. And the last three years have really just shown how there's no innovation and there's absolutely no curiosity across the masses of medicine. It's true. I think we just aren't attracting great thinkers to medicine or folks that don't mind being wrong. You know, I, I, I love when a patient asks me a question I don't have the answer to. And I say, you know what? I don't know, but I know where to find out. I know the right people. I know, I know where to start looking. And 
I'm never afraid to say that to somebody. I don't know, you know, and there's no, in my opinion, there's no perfect diet. There's no right or wrong answer. There's, there's only discussion. And that's the problem with having a larger online audience is people really want me to have a firm stance on everything. And I just don't, I just really don't. And I, I'm always excited when something new comes along that blows my mind and it proves me wrong. And I'm like, oh, dang, I never would have thought that. That's so cool. And I'm const- I'm kind of a nerd like you. Like I love writing and I love researching and I'm I'm always reading. You know, I read studies at night when I have insomnia <laughs> to, to soothe me to sleep. <laughs> do you do that? <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, so no, usually when I go to sleep, but I'll, this morning I actually woke up at about three. And uh, so I actually had a couple studies already open on my phone. <laughs> and so I was going back to them because it's, it's tied into something I'm writing. And so it just, my brain started turning and I said, oh, I want to go back and reread that. Um, and, 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 you know, it's a gift we have. I think it's a calling. And um, embracing it, I think, is really, you know, what you've talked about where people want that one-size-fits-all approach. It, it goes back to, again, Paul Urich. Give me that magic bullet. Right. That, that is the treatment of the masses to treat the individual. That's been the philosophy of the last hundred years. What, what the future that is multiomics is bringing us and metabolomics is front and center is it's the treatment of the individual. It's the precision and the accuracy of the treatment of the individual that will allow us to treat the masses through the collection of the treatment of each individual. So really, we need a shift, a paradigm change, and it's happening. It just needs to you know, happen faster. I love that. I, I think that's so beautifully put, and I think it's a perfect place to close because that is the answer. You just nailed it. And we need more doctors with curiosity, willing to have conversations, step out of their egos, step out of their turfs, and uh, really focus back on the individuals that are in front of us people. We're servants. It's time to get back to it. Yeah, I love it. Oh, I'm so glad you came on the show. I'm I'm so happy to meet you. Like this has been yeah. I have I have goosebumps. I'm inspired again. I I sometimes get down on all this and I get frustrated with I get frustrated with people and I uh then I'm reminded why I became a physician because I get to talk to good doctors like you. So, thanks for thanks but for look sharing at the, today. Look at the look at the platform you have, Tina. I mean, Again, I think what you're doing in this platform to connect with people is you're, you're, you're fanning those flames of curiosity and the patients are looking for truth. And this is going to be, you know, that, that tip of change, it's the patient. Medicine's not going to change on its own. It's not going to stand up and go, Mayacopa, our bag, we got it wrong. You know, they're not going to do that. But guess who's going to force them? the patients. The patients are going to force them. So what you're doing is actually being a part of the tip of the spear. And and I think that process is even bigger in this movement and very important. So thank you for what you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, I feel like a warrior some days. There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah oh, right. I love it. Well, Dr. Goodyear, where can folks find you? Because tell us all the places that uh, they can get more information about you. 
Yeah, they can they can find me everywhere. They can find me, of course, on my personal brand website, uh, drgoodyear.com, where you'll see every, my brand is basically my shirts. So it's it's to make you think differently. Uh, there you'll find my podcast, Pro- Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear. I told you I have a big mouth. I love to teach. I, it's, I have such a passion for it. So the podcast where I love interviewing people, but sometimes I just do deep dives. So, um, and I love to do uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, you can find me where I'm medical director, which is at brio-medical.com. Uh, the clinic that I run as medical director is here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And you can find me on every uh, you know, social media you can think of, including Instagram, uh, Goodyear. So you can find me everywhere, LinkedIn, you name it. Again, big mouth, big reach, because it's about empowering patients. I love it. I'll make sure to have all those links in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for putting up with my tech issues today. (laughs) (laughs) That was chaos, uh, but I appreciate you being calm and and so lovely to meet you and connect with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Tina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A and Dr. Tina 2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.